Hello and welcome to the podcast from Holy Trinity Westerhales. We're delighted that you've joined us for this week's podcast and pray that you will be blessed through it. I feel I need to give you a little bit of a timeline before we start the service, because <laughs> otherwise you're going to think we've been very clever and whatever. We're not, the Holy Spirit is. We came to the end of the wonderful marathon through Hebrews. Would we start something new straight away? Well, there were holidays, and Ian wanted to do a one-off, and we weren't too sure. And I felt the Lord laying on my heart that I wanted to speak on the subject that I'm going to today, about how we put love into action. Ian MacDonald said, that's great. Crack on with it. Last week, he started to touch on what I was going to say at the end of his. I thought, well, either he's stealing my thunder, or this is starting to be a bit important if it's coming up. Then Bill wants to speak about something. Fine, great, slot for Bill. Bill tells me what he's going to speak about. He's taken it the next step already. (laughs) Really, what's going on here? It was not planned. So we got that all sorted, service put together nicely, stuff sent off to the tech team. 6.15 this morning, if you don't mind. I didn't see it then, didn't see it till half past eight. Get a message from Linda. I really feel there's something I'd like to share as testimony this morning. You'll find out what she's going to say later. So thank the Lord. He knows what's going on. We hadn't planned it. It's what the Spirit's brought together. And the first thing that um, we feel we want to do this morning, of course, is to turn to God's Word. Because this is about what it's about. It's about what God's Word, it's about Christ. It's not about us. We hopefully can be true and faithful servants. So we're in Isaiah chapter 58, and it's when Bill told me the passage he wanted to read that I realised he was going to say much the same as I'm going to say. Reading from verse 1 to 8. Shout it aloud. Do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the descendants of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager to God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and is striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. This is the kind of fast I have chosen. Only a day for people to humble themselves. Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke? to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and provide, provide the poor and wanderer with shelter when you see them naked to clothe them and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help, and he will say, here I am. May God bless that reading of his holy word. 
And Bill, welcome. Good morning, everybody. Uh, so I'm here to bring our partnership with the Living Church in Rwanda back into focus after a long gap of time through COVID. And I'll be returning in just after three weeks to set my feet on Rwandan soil once again. However, I want to stand back uh, for a few minutes and share a little of what's been in my heart in uh, recent days about the season that I believe that we're entering into. By all means, weigh up what I say and discern it for yourself. Um, I've been sensing not only for us as a church, but for some of the body of Christ in Scotland, and even with echoes in Rwanda, that God is saying something in particular. And what I believe he's saying is this, that we're entering a time of awakening, that we're entering into that season where the Father is arousing us as his children from a slumber. Every awakening that God does throughout history has always had two things as part of it. The first is the fresh possibility of the wind of the Spirit blowing in us and around us where the presence of God becomes palpable. But the second, which is the challenge for us, is having our hearts and our minds aligned with what's in the Father's heart at this time. I don't know about you, but I've had periods in my life where I've drifted. And one of the things about drifting is that you never actually know where you are and how far you might be off course. We had very challenging words just now out of Isaiah 58. And you might feel this morning, it's quite hard to hear such hard words as we're just coming out of a pandemic, as we're so conscious that there is war not that far from our shores. And literally, I always remember Harold Wilson, the Prime Minister, talking about the pound in your pocket. Well, that's buying a lot less in recent days. But all of these circumstances simply highlight this, that what is of critical importance in our lives is that we have a vital connection with the one who birthed us and filled us with his Holy Spirit. And one of the evidence, evidences of the beginning of a dislocation in our life is when we exchange that relationship and the intimacy of that relationship, which was life-giving and life-breathing, we replace it with ritual. And that's the story in Isaiah 58 as to what happened to God's people we replace it with something of our own making. And we see it repeatedly in the whole story of the children of Israel. But just like them, we might like the idea of having the Father's nearness to us, where we appear to be eager to do what he might want us to do, but we're not necessarily attentive to what's uppermost in his heart or necessarily being willing to pay the price to follow through. The same spirit that I'm talking about this morning is very much around in Rwanda. You know, the outcome for us, as you read it in Isaiah 58, is this, that we become blind to hypocrisy that's in our own heart, but we judge it 
in the lives of others. I've been there, I don't know about you, and I could easily be there at some time in the future. So I believe why I'm saying this is I believe it's time to ask God for a fresh hunger for Him and from Him and to respond what He highlights at this time in our lives, both to convict us when we're wandering off and getting lost, but also to remind us of who we are this morning as His royal sons and daughters. He wants us to be fully available to Him in these days and by His Holy Spirit to look beyond the borders that we might have set for our own lives, to take us beyond these places, to be ready to cooperate with Him in the lives of other people. And as it says in Isaiah, it will be then that our light truly breaks forth. I say all of that because I'm aware of that spirit in Rwanda at the moment and talking to Pastor Paul. I'm so excited about being going to go back in, after two and a half years away. And what's going on there is this awakening is giving a, a, a kind of birth to what he is describing as a time to arise and build. And it's an echo, I think, for us. So in the next brief few minutes, we're going to briefly reflect on our connection, fill in some gaps of time, and think ahead. So these are all just little small snippets of our connection. But Daniel, can you put the first one on? This is the briefest of reflections on our trip in 2019. Before we look at the next clip, um, one of the things that's always great is when you're working with a partner is the importance of listening to what's going on in your partner's head and mind. And the next clip we're going to look at is a church building project in the north of Rwanda. And it was Pastor Paul has had a passion for this church to be planted in a particular location that would mean it was strategic. And so we came on board on the trip we did in 2019. So I'll share that little clip now, the church building at Riabega.
that's the boundary. The Where you see the young, the young ones hedge. standing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's here. How much just to finish the roof so at least the water can come in? No, no, no. Uh -uh. 45 iron sheets. 45 iron sheets. So we ask Holy Spirit now for you to come and dwell within the structure. Mm -hmm. So Father, we just pray for uh, resources. Yep. We pray, Lord, for your uh, for your Spirit to dwell in this place. Yeah. A place that it would just be a, such a beautiful place. We pray for the beautifying of this temple, this place where your people will gather. Okay, let's, let's, let's come together and we're going to pray here first and then we'll walk over to the peace. So if you need us in a prayer around the land. Something stopped there. Yeah, I'll stop it there, Daniel. So it's just incredible, you know, not large sums of money. Um, and there's a congregation gathering there now. There's 50, 60, 70 people uh, actually coming together. And it's just very, very powerful. That last picture here, that you think, well, that's what's a fairly ordinary picture. But that's one of the last stages. They've uh, just concreted the floor in the church and windows and doors are about to be added. And we gave a gift at the end of last year towards that. So that's all opening up. And it sits in the north of the country. It's such a strategic place. So I'll be visiting that when I go back in three weeks' time to see how things are progressing. Uh, the next thing I want to touch on is microfinance. I'm just going to show you the briefest of clip so that you've got two faces in your head when you see this. Um, these are two of the pastors that have been in receipt of microfinance money that, w that has come from the church here. So I just want to play this. Well, tonight we're at the home of Pastor Didas. Yes. Uh, thank you so much for welcoming us. Thank you too. Uh, we are surrounded by chickens and rabbits and <laughs> lots of things and goats. Yes. So, but it's great. Thank you for having us. Thank you too. Uh, in these days, I, I buy chicken, I buy goats, I buy rabbits. I'm also glad to meet with you. Yeah. So will you tell um, our church back home, what is it that you decided to have as a project? First and foremost, I appreciate what you did. May God bless you. So just to answer that question, it was just like she was cut off there. Um, she has a field of Irish potatoes, and it's, it's growing great. And as you saw earlier, Pastor Adidas has got a menagerie now, to be honest, you know, just like that. If you've ever done camera work, when you're trying to do camera work, when there are 30, 
groups of animals around you. It's just, just incredible. So when I go back, these, uh, Pastor Sam is third, uh, second from the right. He oversees the ministers in the north. These three people will be recipients of uh, project money. Okay, just let it go. So this is the final bit coming up. That's fine, we'll just leave it there. So what does happen next? Well, I go off in three weeks' time. It'll be a bit of a reconnaissance. It'll be face-to-face chats with Pastor Paul. We've been phoning each other over the last couple of years, looking at the opportunities that are yet to be found for us. And I'm looking to see where the Holy Spirit takes me, and not just in teaching, but in building relationships and seeing how the partnership can further develop. And yes, I do believe that next summer we could take a team. We could have a team back in Rwanda, which would be fantastic. So points for prayer, um, very briefly. Safety and protection for me. Uh, I've got so many protocols to get through. A lot of Europe's opening up now with COVID, but getting in and out of, in and out of Rwanda is quite complicated. So pray for me. Wisdom and insight for the journey. Look to see where the connection can be strengthened and anointing for what I share. In the last couple of times we've been to Rwanda, we've had a kind of sign-up sheet and we've had a WhatsApp feed. So every day I feed back. Anybody who wants to sign up for that, I give you feedback at the end of the day, both in terms of uh, just a message, but also photographs as well. So thank you. Um, just want to say a big... So that if you want to sign up for that, I'll be at the tea and coffee stand. A big thank you for Ian Sturrett for pulling um, these images together. I'm just very briefly going to pray. Father God, we just thank you for this connection. And pray that your Holy Spirit would enable us to be who you want us to be to these people in Rwanda. Amen. 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 Uh, Bill, you don't get away that quick. Okay. Um, Wow, what a a huge amount of things to to take in there. Uh, I think firstly, um, for church as well, there was a a message there. And consideration, as Rita's going to be looking at in terms of Isaiah 58 so we do need to pray into that uh, and it's also respectful I think Bill's just shared how we need to be discerning as church how we're gonna um, yeah tune into the Holy Spirit in, in in these days seeing where we are at and where he's he's moving us and also then Bill's beginning to reflect on a trip to Rwanda in three weeks it's brilliant seeing those images of just a couple of years ago uh, on, on the screen and all that's all, all that's been happening all that is happening and, and all that will happening and so we're going to try and condense that now in, into prayer uh, and as we, we often say in, in, in HT it's great just to sometimes just raise an arm uh, to, towards the person who we're praying for we, we, we raise our arms towards the Lord because he's the one who answers prayer. But this is our way of saying, brother, in this case, brother Bill, we're with you. And we're praying that the Lord's yeah. grace and leading and blessing into all that you're doing. So let's do this as a congregation. 
Lord, first of all, we say our eyes are on you. Um, and we can look back as the song was leading us to say, through it all, our eyes have been on you. And through it all now, we continue to look to you. And so this message that we're beginning to receive in different ways, I pray that we'd have eyes to see and ears to hear just what you're saying to us as church in these days. And Lord, then hearts to receive and act uh, in the way that you're leading, the way that you're guiding. And as part of that and this message that uh, the Bill has brought, we lift him to you as friends brought people, brought each other to Christ. We lift Bill to you and ask your richest blessings on him in these days, Lord, guiding in all he's doing. Anoint him for the work that you have for him, Lord. We thank you for all that he's doing uh, in seeking you and looking for your word for church and looking to serve you through, uh, through all that you're doing in Rwanda. We look back and we say thank you for all that you've done. We can look back and say, yeah, thank you for that, that we're able to provide a roof, Lord. It's you who provided the roof. And we can look at these mini projects that are taking place with the animals and the, the vegetables and everything else that's, that's being grown. And we say thank you, Lord, for all that you are doing in Rwanda. But we thank you, Lord, that even more you're working in lives and drawing them to yourself. So will you do that even more? Will you use all these uh, projects to bring blessing, but above all, Lord, to bring people to yourself? So guide Bill, bless him, grant him uh, health and strength and all that he needs to be your man in that situation. Bless Pastor Paul, help him in all he's doing. Again, with that anointing of the Holy Spirit, such that, again, your work is being furthered and will prosper in that land. So we lift it to you. We thank you for all that you've done. But we say, Lord, the future, we're just so glad is in your hands. And look to you that we'll continue to hear testimonies and stories. How you have blessed this, uh, this project. You've blessed Bill. And indeed, through it, you've furthered your kingdom here and in Rwanda. Lord Jesus, it's your work. Our eyes are on you. Amen. Amen. And as Lord, we raise our voices in praise. We bow before you in prayer. And we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts will be acceptable in your sight, our Lord and our Redeemer. Amen. Um, I was thinking about the Good Samaritan passage as the starting point. And I know it's used normally to challenge us to who is our neighbor. But can we just think a little bit wider? Was it just because of religious or legal pre um, prejudice or tradition that prevented some people from, from helping? Or was it their personality and upbringing? Their DNA, the building blocks of what they are, of how they are and how they live. Was the Samaritan just someone who would have done it anyway, no matter who? Would the Levite and the Pharisee not have done it just because they didn't do that sort of thing to anybody? Just a wee question for you to think about. And then turning that, why do we do things that we do? And why as a church do we do things that we do? I've inherited a number of family traits. Um, the men in my family are good at sports and I'm not. My mother quite, was quite good at baking and handicrafts and 
I am. I'll let you decide where I fit in with the male line to have this phenomenal ability for maths and logic, and the women being good wee wives. I'll leave that one to you. But there's been a long tradition on both sides. Something that makes me me is that we're non-conformists. Religion, politics, social action, wherever you like to look at it. If somebody says, you're meant to do that, we'll say, why? Maybe I'm not going to. And those of you that know me know that trait a little bit too well. My dad was a trade union leader who is proud that he never, ever was involved in a strike. But he spent his time helping people for better conditions, better pay, etc. My uncle was a pacifist in the war and went to prison and then went to drive a, an, an ambulance on the front line in Normandy. I had an aunt who was a suffragette, very proud of being the maiden aunt in the family and stood up for being a single woman when it was not quite right. Granny and granddad campaigned for better conditions for disabled folk and orphans. And way, way back, a 15-year-old girl who said, I'm a Christian, I'm not going on the Mormon escape to America to settle in Salt Lake City because I don't think they're right. They don't know the love of Jesus in their hearts. Start to see where I get my bullshitness from. It comes down. It's not in my DNA to sit back, but it's what drives me to serve. It's why I do it. When Alistair Morris spoke a couple of weeks ago, he talked about somebody who was, had no church connection, never heard of the Bible, nothing at all, who for some reason felt this prompting to become a Christian. And he had this booklet, remember it well, Journey into Life, to talk the person through, and they came to know Christ. It explained why they would want to do it. In Food Bank recently, we've had two people come and say, I want to volunteer. I don't quite know why, but I want to do this. And that was easy enough. Yes, you could explain the why, but why do we do it? Why do we do Food Bank? Okay, it's obvious. People need food and support. But we don't require referrals. We don't restrict the number of visits. We don't demand proof. We be ge we're generous where we can be but we're good stewards of the resources that we've got. We try to make it fair for all. Of course, that leaves us open that sometimes we get lied to. Sometimes people take more than their share. And occasionally, yeah, in a food bank, we get shoplifters. But Andy's always on top of that. <laughs> but in any of this, it's not us they're cheating, it's God. God knows them better than they know themselves. But why do we do it? Explaining the why rather than the how and the physical issues can be more difficult. And I suggest it's because it's the core of our DNA. Since the monks on Sutra Isle, we have served, we have helped, we have supported, we have gone into situations where others wouldn't. And down the, the generations, and there's all the wonderful history that we, we know, some of us and some of us know a lot more, of hospitals, of hospitality, of caring, and Lady Glenorchy, who's down there, or was, I don't know if she still is, who established this whole chain of resources to help the poor, to help the sick, to help those in need. And that came here with us for 50 years in Wester Hales. That's why we do it. It's because we can't help ourselves. It's in our DNA. And the Isaiah passage reminds us that God wants this. He doesn't want just this token religious observance. We could come in here, we could sing, we could read the Bible. 
God demands more than that, more of us than that. He calls us to, and I said, loose the chains of injustice, share food, provide shelter, don't turn away from our family. And we've got another passage, of course, in Matthew 25, where Jesus said, as you fed the hungry, you visited the sick, you clothed the naked, visited them in prison, etc. We were doing it to him. It's what we have to do. Now, we don't have a monopoly on helping. I'm not saying that for one instance. Just look at the range of charities, support and advice groups, government services, everything. And at Holy Trinity, we don't have a monopoly on serving our community. The Whale Arts Group, the high school, the community food, the healthy living, the coldest flat, the Muslim support group, the other churches in the area. It's not a monopoly. We're nothing special, but we have this obligation because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ to respond with love in action. We do have it. It is in our DNA and it is in scripture. Last week, Ian was speaking about test and testimony. It's only through being tested that we have a testimony, that we can say, because that happened and that was the outcome, that's what God did in my life. And we've all got our own individual testimony. We've all got our own reasons and story behind the who we are and the why we do what we do. Why am I up here? I have no idea. But God put me through a lot of tests and a lot of arguing with him and saying, really, are you sure? I can see Joe echoing that. But that was the test. And he now, I'm privileged to say, he lets me go and help people. He lets me share his word. He lets me pray. It's an honor and a privilege that I can serve him. Because that test and that testimony then has to result in action. It's not something to make us feel nice and cozy and, oh, aren't I good? That's really good. It is, it's lovely, and that never goes. But then we have to do something about it. We get example after example right through scripture. We've had 2,000 years of Christian history of people doing these things, standing up for in, against injustice, bringing on education and healthcare and reforms and, and everything that we do. And like, not just for our own, but like the Samaritan in carrying across religious, political, social boundaries worldwide. Otherwise, why would we go and help some people in North Rwanda? Because they're people whom God loves and has called us to love and serve. And we've had the, the army of witnesses that have gone out from here. But much closer to home, part of our testimony is God's saving grace for us. And it's as much as what we say and what we do as how we worship. Our DNA used to be, and I think we've got a picture of it, about um, HTC, healing, transformation, and compassion. And I was going to talk about it, but then I got a message from Linda. Over to you, my lovely. She's very nervous. Be gentle with her. <laughs> okay. I'm so nervous. There's nothing worse than looking out at people like this, <laughs> except for Aaron, who has left. He's normally so encouraging. <laughs> anyway... Um, I'm so excited to share this story with you, but in order to get to the end of the story, I'm just going to backtrack a little bit uh, and give you some context. So about three years ago, um, I was doing the Bible in a year plan and ended up finding myself in a bit of a battling place. Um, everything kind of threw into a bit of a muddle for me. 
uh, I did become quite discontent coming to church every Sunday, singing the same songs, hear teaching, go back to a normal week, the mundane, uh, and so it went. And I felt that really, if God was who he said he was all through the Bible that I was reading, then really life should be a bit more exciting. <laughs> um, and so I went on a bit of a search for that. Uh, some of you know that uh, Chris and I really are, have quite a burdened heart for people who are exploited um, or trafficked or vulnerable. So I ended up joining a team of women who work down with um, supporting sex workers in Leith. And so I've been doing that now for about two and a half years. Um, I was really excited to go and see how God could radically change people's lives. And uh, that's who Jesus hung out with. So surely that's where I'd find Jesus and it'd be really exciting. Uh, the reality of it, of course, is not as simple as that. The complexities of their lives are deep and there is layers and layers of trauma um, and while we absolutely know and can see that Jesus uh, could transform, uh, transform things, we did have to tread really carefully to build relationship, to not break trust, and just to keep showing up. So we continued to serve them all throughout COVID. Um, and I'm sure some of you can imagine just how dark it can feel when we're down there. Um, the feeling of oppression is quite strong and we do pray relentlessly for the women uh, for protection for them and for ourselves when we're out with them. So about a year ago we started to get opportunities to work with one particular woman um, and when we met her I think she would have said that she was in a place that she seemed in control of the lifestyle um, but very quickly it flips the other way and the lifestyle controls them. Um, and she deteriorated really, really quickly. Um, and it was really heartbreaking. And we prayed, and we prayed, and we prayed. Um, and really, we didn't see many answers to our prayers. And we were quite discouraged. Um, if I'm totally honest, most weeks when I come home on a Tuesday night, I do often think, what is the point in this? <laughs> like, it just feels like we're getting nowhere. And so we've prayed and prayed for more opportunities, but more often than not, we spend our evenings just picking girls up out the gutter time and time again, um, having really heartbreaking conversations. And I really was getting really frustrated that there wasn't a lot of opportunity to share the gospel. Occasionally, we had been able to pray with people, um, but it really is quite fleeting. And I found it really hard to walk that line between what the Bible says and what we know Jesus can do and the reality of brokenness and um, heavy drug use and layers of trauma. So about a month ago, it all came to head with this particular girl. And when me and my friend went out, we found her in a really, really bad way. Um, I'll save you all the details, but it took us about three hours just to get her into the hospital. Um, she needed surgery, uh, and she had a really difficult time. And so I went in to visit her, and I went laid down with uh, food and gifts and clothes, and it's going to be so exciting, like Jesus is going to do something here. Uh, God's going to show up. And when I arrived, she'd run away. <laughs> and so the next day, she did come back. The next day, one of her other team went in, and when she arrived, she'd run away. <laughs> So to just say that we were discouraged really was a bit of an understatement. 
Um, and really, there was such a frustration of serving people who, for want of a better word, might live a more chaotic lifestyle. Um, that swing between compassion, frustration, and a lot of anger uh, was difficult to toe the line with. And just after that event had happened, I was leading worship that Sunday, and there was testimony being shared about various things, all of which God was doing, and it was exciting. And I just felt so discouraged, like, where have you been in this week, God? Like, it's been so difficult, and we've prayed, and you've not shown up. With this girl, there are many other services involved, so I don't want you to think that it is just us. There are lots of people coming together and actually her ending up in hospital meant a lot of pieces of the puzzle could be joined together. So a few weeks ago, Alistair Morris was preaching. Um, and now Alistair Morris is special in our family. So he was minister here when I was born here into HT uh, before Stan. And when he was speaking, he said that he went to visit somebody in hospital and the lady said, when you walked into the ward, I knew that Jesus had come. And he spoke about how Jesus is on the field before us. And I was so encouraged that day when he preached because I thought of uh, this situation and I thought, you know, God is in it. It's really nothing to do with us. God is ahead and God is in it. So I'll fast forward a little bit just to get uh, to the good bit. Uh, so for the sake of, uh, yeah, so for the sake of time, she ended up back in hospital just over a week ago, in a way worse state. Um, and so eventually, we said we could go in and visit, but they said, well, she does have a lasting problem with her foot, so she's not able to walk. And I thought, oh, good, well, I'm not going to pray for healing, because then she'll not run away, so... Um, <laughs> anyway... Uh, lots of things this week, for me, have been really challenging. Um, and by the end of the week, I was so exhausted and I thought, I just cannot be bothered going to the hospital. Like, I can't be bothered because it'll be, what's the point, <laughs> is what I thought. What's the point? And I'm tired. But anyway, I went on Friday morning and this time I took nothing and I prayed on the way and I said, I'm taking nothing except you, God, because I'm too tired <laughs> and we'll see how it goes. And as I walked into the hospital, there was a, like a wooden plaque on the wall and it said, what does it say? <laughs> Let me find it. History is in these walls. And I was immediately reminded of that sermon that Alistair preached. And he said at the end of it, never underestimate the power of a visit. So I said a quick prayer and headed on up to see her. She was there, thankfully. Um, we had a brief chat. Uh, and it was pretty clear that she thought I was maybe a support worker or a key worker. So I said to her, you do know that I'm not paid to spend time with you. <laughs> I'm just a volunteer. I just come from a church. Well, she couldn't believe it. She couldn't believe that we would just choose to go down to Leith uh, for no reason. I said, we're just here uh, hoping for opportunity to tell you that your life is worth more than this. And she said to me, you must wonder what the point of that is. <laughs> So I didn't want to burst a bubble by saying, yes, I do every week. But, uh, <laughs> and then she said, well, you will not see me again because I'm not going back. And we've heard that before several times. People want out, but it's really difficult and often not as simple as just getting out. 
And I said, okay, well, if it's the last time I'm going to see you, then can I ask if God has ever been part of your life? And so we went on to have really quite a sad chat about uh, things in her past that had been linked to a church. And then she said, what church do you go to? And I said, Holy Trinity, Westerhales. She said, you are joking. (laughs) I used to go there. (laughs) This was not the church linked to the heart, by the way. (laughs) And she said, if I know of any church, it's that one. They were like family to me. I told her that we had been praying for her for months, and we felt so strongly that there was a battle for her soul, and that really, by all rights, she should be dead by now. There is a lot that's happened. She shouldn't have survived. And I said, I believe that God saved your life for a reason. And she broke down, and I started to cry. (laughs) And she said, do you know the song 10,000 Reasons? I said, yeah, I do. (laughs) So we played it in the hospital room, and I prayed with her. Now, she has a huge, massive journey ahead, and she needs more surgery. She's fighting addiction. She's hurting. And these things don't magically disappear just because God shows up. But when he is involved, then the restoration uh, looks really quite different. And so I'm telling you all of this today, not just because it is a really good story, um, but because I think it speaks into this 50th year celebration of HT that God has not left the field. (laughs) And that he's used this church and his people to bring about his kingdom change for over 50 years And he's not going to stop now. And on the weeks that you see us leading up, uh, standing up, leading worship, and you might think, oh, there are people that have got all together. Like, it's just nonsense. (laughs) Nonsense. A lot of us carry a lot of difficult things. And when we come and worship out of a place of vulnerability, I feel that is far more powerful. And I guess I just have learned that 90% of being part of God's kingdom is just showing up. And it's doing the foundation work, reading your Bible, praying, being with people, being honest with people, being wise with not to who be honest with, remembering that we are not God. And I find that really hard. I think most of us would want to control situations. I think it's really hard for us to hand things over to God. And the other 10% is when God shows up and does the rest and humbles us to show us that he is in charge and when we step out to serve other people to fight darkness he'll always always start by changing us first (laughs) so I really strongly want to ask that you would join me in praying for this girl as she faces a Goliath journey ahead and I would love this story to be for everyone that we've worked with but right now we've got this one (laughs) in front of us and so if you could pray for her Um, then that would be amazing. She knows that I am asking that this morning of you. Um, And I just think it's incredible how God's worked in that situation and how HT has been part of that story throughout. So let's just do that now. let's, Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for for Linda and all that she has done. We thank you that she is honest about the difficult times that we have sometimes in our walk with you, but that she knows deep in her heart that you will never leave her. We thank you that you take her to do work with the most vulnerable in our society, 
the ones that most people would walk past on the other side. And I just pray for the the group that she goes out with, that you you will protect them, that you will surround them with, with love, that you will give them the courage and the determination to go on with this work, that you will give them the words to say, the smile to put on their face when all they want to do is grimace. And I pray for this young woman who's having this wonderful experience of you in her life, despite all that is going on in her physical body, in her mental state. And Lord, I just pray that this morning she will indeed know that as Linda told her she would ask for prayer, that she is now loved by us all. We don't need to know who she is. We don't need to know any details. You know her better than she knows herself. You love her. You care for her. And I just pray this morning that that through the Holy Spirit, she will know that. That she will know that although it seems very lonely, she is not alone. Although life is painful, you are there in that pain. Although it's confusing, it's stressful, there's so many pressures that your arms are around her. And Lord, help us to hold her in our hearts and to hold her in our prayers. Not just for today, but for always, Lord, because you will never let her go. Your love never changes. Your compassion continually flows. So just bless Linda, the team, and all the young women they meet, but particularly this girl today. May she know your love. May she know Jesus as her Lord and her Savior her friend and her companion, now and evermore. Amen. So skip the rest of the sermon. I'm going to challenge you, though. How does your faith show in action? Bill goes to Rwanda. We do food banks and cap and all the other wonderful things that we do here. But it's not what we do, what they do. It's what you do that you have to answer for. When did you last ask God how he wants you to love the one in front of you? Do you feel you've maybe done your bits? You've got so much else to fit into a busy life. You need a break. You're not spiritually strong at the moment. Are these the little barriers that you're putting up? Have you asked but don't feel that you're being answered or don't want to really want to hear the answer? Are you ready to follow wherever he may lead? Do you feel a call on your life but aren't exactly sure what it is? Is it time to ask God to show you, to show us as a congregation, the next step to move into something new and exciting, although it might be terrifying at the same time, to use these talents and gifts that he's given us through the Holy Spirit through who we are and what we are. You don't have to answer to anybody else, but he knows. And he knows you, as I say, better than we know, you know yourself. He knows me better than I know myself. So let's just spend a wee moment or two in prayer. Oh Lord, it is challenging To think, if we were on that road with the Levite and the Pharisee and the Samaritan, 
what would we do? If we're honest, would we rush over to help somebody with no idea what the context was? Or would we have a good look and maybe somebody else better equipped than me? Do we just help for an instant? Or is it prolonged care? Do we deal with it for a short term? Or does it go on for a long, long time? Lord, you call us to care in all these different ways. You call us to act in so, so many different contexts. You test us so that we can come to know who we are in you that little bit more. So Lord, give us the courage to ask you what next. And give us ears to hear the answer. I heard the lovely phrase, there's no retirement in the kingdom. We're here to serve you, Lord, because you are with us for eternity. Use us as you will. That your light will shine in the dark world. That your name will be praised above all names that your kingdom values of peace and justice and equality and equity will be established. We pray most weeks, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And show us this morning the part you want us to play in your kingdom, in Westerhales, in Leith, in Rwanda, wherever you send us, Lord.